Good evening. I want to welcome everybody here tonight. Welcome everybody back and some that weren't here this morning. Also welcome everybody that's here online. Uh, we're glad everybody's here. Uh, I want to start off, I know I, I'm just glad we're having Sunday evening services again. It's the fellowship, miss it. Just glad we're glad we're we're back, and it'll get there, and we'll all get through this. We just need to be patient, pray, and keep the faith. But I did want to start off with basically, I really love this time of season. I don't really necessarily enjoy the time change, but uh, seems like spring and fall. We can sit out, you can observe nature, and you just can't deny that there is a God because you can see God working all around you. It just, we need to take time every now and then, sit back, just like the old saying goes, sit back and smell the roses for, you know, take time. But every now and then, Oh, probably a week or two before I get, you know, to deliver a sermon, someone's going to ask me the question, what are you going to preach on? Or what are you going to preach about? And my answer usually goes something like, well, the Bible or the Word or the Gospel. And, you know, I'm telling the truth. I may not be telling the exact specific truth they're looking for. And I say that not to be mean, but... Usually, I just haven't decided whether I've got two or three choices, and it just depends on which one sounds the best at about Wednesday before. So, but uh, I wanted to start off with that, and like I said, not to keep anybody forever ever asking me that question, but just kind of give you a reason why I answer the way that I do. And uh, somebody had sent me, it's been a few months ago, a video of a sermon like I said it was a few months ago and uh, it kind of brought me to the conclusion on this sermon that I wanted to deliver tonight you see at least here in the church it's a foregone conclusion that my sermon tonight is going to be based on the Bible and you expect to hear that you expect to hear the word preached and I would hope that if I or somebody else did get up here and deliver a sermon that wasn't biblically based, that the eldership would take offense to that and either stop or at least catch us afterwards and say, this isn't what we do and why we preach the word. You know, 2 Timothy 4.2, Timothy is told, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And I know I use that that scripture quite a bit because I really feel that the importance of it but this video of this sermon this person sent and is a friend of mine but it reminded me something more of a more of a grade school project of what I did this last summer instead of preaching the word it just seems like more and more especially in the denominational world that some sermons, they fail on all parts 
of what the Apostle Paul outlined in his letters to Timothy. They also seem to fulfill exactly what Paul was warning Timothy about when he wrote the verses, verses 3 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see, this is just one of the trials facing the church today. The infiltration of basically watered down preaching and the increase of entertainment versus sound preaching. As Christians, believers of the word and followers of Christ, we should demand to hear the word each preached each and every opportunity we get. You see, unless we demand to hear only the word, the gospel, then how can we learn? And if we don't learn, how can we know the truth? If we fail to hear the word, then how can, we, how can there be edification? Edification of the saints is exactly the reason the apostles preached. 2 Corinthians 12, 19 says, Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. But we do all things for your edification. Those are powerful words which are just as important today as they were some 1,960, 50 years ago. Every opportunity we have to hear the word, to hear the word of God, to hear the gospel, we need to demand that, we, that, it, that it be the word, demand that it be the gospel, and demand that it be for edification. Edification, the instruction, the enlightenment, the words that will save us, that which leads us forward in our knowledge and obedience to God. If the Apostle Paul felt the importance of everything he did to be for our edification, then how can we deny that today? You see, without edification, there can't be spiritual growth. And none of this can happen unless we have sound scriptural preaching. When I say we, I'm talking about the not not Shoto. I think we do a fantastic job. Steve has done a fantastic job. Doug does, but I I watch a lot of sermons from other quote churches of Christ, you know, around the nation, around the world, and that's more what I'm talking. You know, when I say we, because we are part of the church. You know, every time I think of this subject, I'm reminded of the saying that if you don't stand for something, then you'll fall for anything. How can we expect to defend the gospel, let alone understand how to be saved, unless we know what the word says? I feel there are many people 
in this world that think there's some sort of escape clause or fail-safe clause out there that if they, they can rely on by being able to blame their lost condition on somebody else. How can we expect to have spiritual growth again if we don't have edification? And how can we have edification if we don't have scriptural preaching? But what about those words, scriptural, word of God, the gospel? I know a lot of times we use those interchangeably. When we say scriptural or word of God, those words are pretty specific. But for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to look at the word, the gospel. I feel sometimes we might not grasp just exactly the full meaning of the word, words of the gospel. I think everybody in here would agree the good definition of the gospel is the good news. But what is the good news? What is the gospel? Well, Jesus commands his disciples to preach it to every creature in the book of Mark, chapter 16, and chapter, verses 15 through 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he, do, he who does not believe will be condemned. We see from verse 16 that salvation is offered to all who will believe and are baptized. The Apostle Paul says that he's not ashamed of it. When he said in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul also states that it is the power of God unto salvation to all, for all who believe. The gospel is the good news about Christ. The good news that that there's salvation through our Lord Jesus and Savior. But it's not just the history of a man, but it's the good news of what the Son of God did for all of us. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through four, which says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which, you, which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But the gospel, it's, it's also the foundation, the foundation on which Christ shed his blood for. That monumental statement in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 15, when he, and he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus, who is the Christ. We're talking about our salvation. That, I mean, that's good news. That Christ has come to save. That Christ gave his life on that cross of Calvary so that we might have hope of eternal life in heaven. You know, the word gospel, it's used roughly 101 to 105 depends, times in the New Testament, depends on which translation you're using. But it's spelling out the path to salvation. It's telling the wonderful story of Christ. But just as with any story, our journey, our path, our path to salvation needs to start at the beginning. Have you ever come in in the middle of a good movie? Maybe everybody else started it and you came in late. You usually have more questions at the end than you do answers. Or somebody's always poking you in the side because you're always asking questions because you didn't catch the beginning, so you don't know what's going on. Same as if you tried, if you picked up a book and you tried to start just somewhere right in the middle, just open it up in the middle. We're going to skip the first half. We're going to start there. We're going to read on. Just, just to do that to save time, that's a quick, easy way out. It just doesn't work. You don't have the basis for all the answers that you're going to have as time goes on. In order, under, in order to understand the story being told in the movie or in that book, you have to start at the beginning to understand the whole story. Without the background, you can't, you can't fully appreciate or totally understand what the author is trying to tell you. The same is true with the Bible. If you want to know the story and the background of Christ and salvation, you need to start at the beginning. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. And it's here where we can read of the prophecy of the coming Savior. Isaiah chapter 53. Read verses 4 through 12. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was opposed, and he was, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, 
And who will, he de who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he sh he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by his righteousness, sir, righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So the gospel, why is it the good news? Because Jesus came to this earth in the form of a man and shed his blood on that cross for the remission of our sins. Again, so that it might have that hope of heaven, eternal life in heaven with him. Why did Jesus die for us? Why did he have to? Simply because we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And also because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the good news because God offers his son as a propitiation for our sins. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But it's also, it's the good news. It's the good news because Christ was raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But it's also the good news because Christ is exalted as our king and as our savior. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 through 23 says which he worked which 
he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But also, it's the good news because God made Jesus ruler of the earth. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. But it's also the good news because Jesus, the Christ, is coming again. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them, in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. But you know, it's only good news if we obey. Through the death, of Jesus Christ, we are provided a pathway to salvation. Of course, this is the five steps I'm sure everybody can quote. That we first must hear the word of God. In John 5, 24, 25, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me hath eternal life and cometh not into judgment, but hath passed out of death unto life. Second, we learn that hearing produces faith. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing cometh by the word of God. Third, we must repent. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus says, Unless you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And again in Acts 3.19, Peter says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Fourth, we must confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 8-10 says, But what but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with 
thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then baptism. Acts 2.38 we all know then Peter said unto them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I know I've got a few friends that I constantly talk with that they're in the denominational world, and we have that discussion over and over and over on baptism. You know, with Acts 2.38, I don't see how you can get it wrong unless you just mark that, you know, you just have to take a black marker and mark it out of your Bible. But we tend to go back and forth on that. But also, just as importantly as those previous steps, we must live a faithful life. The last part of Revelation 2.10 says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I've got one more just small point I want to make, and the lesson will be yours. And that is the importance and the significance of those words, the gospel. You know, like we saw earlier, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ who came to save us. But the importance of it, it just seems to get lost in that simple definition when we just say just the good news. And though it's a very accurate translation Again, it just seems to lose something when it gets translated into English. But to better understand the impact of that phrase, the good news, we need to go back and understand where those words came from and their use. You know, prior to the writing of the New Testament, that Hebrew word in there, the good for the good news, which is prior to being translated into Greek for the word we know as the gospel, but it not necessarily was a religious word. It wasn't a religious term at the time, or not used very much either. That term, it wasn't used very often in, in Greek writing either. So when it was used, it carried more impact, it carried importance when that, when that word was used. In the Hebrew, the good news usually was used in reference to the good news carried by a runner. You see, they didn't have newspapers, radio, telegraph, they didn't have nothing. They didn't have any form of news and they had no way for information to be passed in a quick time or a timely manner during that time. 
So they had to rely on runners or messengers who would carry the news from town to town, literally on foot. Now, just picture some time period between like 100 to 500 BC and a kingdom is at war and a king is going to war. Now this king would assemble his army and he would journey out to the, uh, to, you know, to the land that he was trying to conquer or to where he was trying to confront an enemy. Now the battle would probably be located far away, maybe even in another country. So what we might think is a simple journey back then might take weeks or even months to go between this city and the actual battle. It might even take up to, up to a year. Then each army, they would take time to prepare for that battle once they arrived. Again, all this could take months or even a year or better before the actual battle and the final outcome. What's at stake for the citizens? What about those people in those cities of those countries that went to war? What's at stake for those people? Well, if your country, your king lost, you were ultimately, ultimately going to become a captive of the other nation, prisoners to the winner. The conqueror would raid the city of all its valuables the people of that country were now a conquered people, slaves to a new kingdom. Basically, they'd lose everything, and some, if not most, would lose their life. That's how important victory was. Now, can you imagine if you were a citizen of that city waiting to hear the outcome of that battle? Days turn into weeks weeks turn into months and possibly those months turn into year or years before you could find anything out. You have to wait all to find out if you're going to gain everything or if you're going to lose everything. Turn with me again to the book of Isaiah and let's read what Isaiah had to say about this. We'll go to Isaiah chapter 52. I'll start well, 52 verse 7 it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. But there, at towards the beginning is that same phrase, the good news. No doubt, you know, the people of that city that were, we were talking about, they had have watchmen set at strategic points and they would watch 24 hours a day, seven days a week, waiting to see 
waiting for a messenger, waiting to see if, if they could see the cloud of dust from a runner approaching, waiting to find out their fate. Talk about getting an ulcer. I can imagine, I just can't imagine how much worry those people had to endure waiting to find out their fate. Victory, which means salvation from the enemy. Defeat, which means the loss of everything and possibly even your life. Then, after months and months of waiting, one of the watchmen yells out, there's a runner approaching, a messenger. He's traveling by foot. So there's probably a significant amount of time from the time he's seen to the time he gets into the city. Plenty of time for rumors. Are we, aren't we, did we, don't we? More tension. This is what Isaiah was writing about in, in 50, chapter 52, verse 7, when he says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. This is the meaning of that word, the gospel, the good news. The good news delivered by him who proclaims peace, glad tidings. The good news of him who proclaims salvation. This is why I feel that some of this, just like that movie, Lost in Translation, it just doesn't carry, it didn't seem to carry the same importance. But that's the importance of the gospel. Because everything does ride on it. Our salvation, our eternal life, our future, at least our future in heaven, depends on it. Now, I hope this kind of brought a better understanding of those words, the gospel and the good news. I also hope that it might bring a little better understanding why it seems like sometimes some preachers are a little more adamant when those words are used. I also hope that a better understanding of scripture might help someone, someone become, that helps them get closer to God, to understand what it means for that salvation, what it means to hear those words, good and faithful servant, that maybe it might even lead someone into salvation. If you do have any needs of the church tonight, we always want to extend that opportunity at every chance we have. And not just, not just at the end of a sermon, we always want to leave that door open. If you ever have questions, just know that that helps of just a phone call away that we're always here. But if you have any of those needs, please come as we stand and sing.